0: This is a Federal News Network podcast.
1: Operators of pipelines, freight railroads, and passenger transit systems face a parade of cybersecurity deadlines this year. They come from the Transportation Security Administration, partly in reaction to last year's Colonial Pipeline ransomware attack. For details, we turn to a former federal prosecutor, now a partner at the law firm McDermott, Will & Emery, Scott Ferber. Scott, good to have you on.
0: Great to be on, Tom. Thank you.
1: As someone who follows cybersecurity in the private sector pretty carefully, There's a big lift that companies have under this TSA mandate. Tell us more about it.
0: The TSA directives really are are part of a broader effort by the executive branch, both voluntary and mandatory directives to get the private sector to do more when it comes to the cyber threat landscape which you know everyone agrees is is daunting there's a mix of undertakings by by the government i mean you have call to arms for example there's the June 2nd uh, open letter to corporate executives and business leaders from deputy national security advisor ann newberg where she emphasized that the private sector has a critical responsibility to protect against cyber threats and recommends a variety of best practices and then you have president biden's August 25th meeting with corporate leaders from a variety of sectors discussing the whole-of-nation effort that's needed to address cyber threats. And then on the mandatory side, there are both industry agnostic and also sector-specific. And, and you hit the nail on the head with the recent TSA directives targeting the transportation sector. And those are just part of a broader sector-specific effort by TSA, by the Department of Justice, and federal Banking regulators, among others, to to address
1: this threat. Right. So far, we haven't seen disruptions of operations, runaway trains, or something, or signals not <laughs> right. working because of cyber attacks that we know of. Correct. Right. But
0: I think that's one of the concerns that um, the federal government has is without mandatory breach reporting requirements, you know, companies, whether they're transit systems um, or or other uh, organizations, are, are really left to themselves unless they're required to report, you know, it can be voluntary. And I certainly understand potentially the reluctance to come forward to regulators, to law enforcement, and to reveal that, you know, a particular company has been um, the victim of a breach. And so the fact that we haven't read about it um, doesn't necessarily mean it hasn't happened.
1: Sure. Yes. And I guess we'll We'd probably know if a runaway train happened, but certainly the ransomware we do know (laughs) happened in the case of the pipeline. And so on January 6th, there was the designation of a cybersecurity coordinator and an alternate. And so that's happening now. But then there's March and June deadlines that companies have to do. And what are those?
0: Sure. Well, and actually taking a step back, you know, what what is There are a number of important elements to the TSA's December 2nd Security Directive um, and and covered owners and operators of of rail systems effective December 31. So they're already on the clock, need to report covered cybersecurity incidents to the Department of Homeland Security's Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency within 24 hours of identifying them. Uh, And Cybersecurity incidents um, under the directives are defined broadly and include an event that is under investigation as a possible cybersecurity incident without final determination of the event's root cause or nature. Uh, So covered owners and operators need to be vigilant about what's going on on their networks. I'm sure they already are, uh, but now also with an eye toward very quickly having to report them to uh, CISA. And then, as you mentioned, um, January 6th, covered entities are going to have to designate a cybersecurity coordinator and alternate. Uh, And it's not just find someone in the organization um, and and submit their names to CISA. There are certain eligibility requirements under the directives, including that the individual be um, a U.S. citizen. And the designated coordinator uh, needs to be available, and I'm quoting from the directives, at all times, all hours, all days to coordinate implementation of cybersecurity practices and manage uh, cybersecurity
1: incidents. That's why they have an alternate <laughs> so that someone can be <laughs> cover the clock 24 hours.
0: That, that, that's right. That's right. Um, and I, I should also mention it's not just um, U.S. citizens, but it, it's someone that that can be eligible for a security clearance. Right. And so there needs to be someone on call uh, at, at, at all times. And, and then companies, um, you know, well, hopefully they're already doing this, uh, but now they're going to be required to conduct cybersecurity vulnerability assessments to identify potential gaps and, and use the form that TSA provides and then submit the completed form to TSA. Um, and so in doing that, of course, you know, companies need to be thoughtful about what they're um, putting in the form. Of course, they want to be truthful and accurate, uh, but recognize it's going to um, a government agency, they, they need to be very careful about what they're including on their forms and, and make sure it complies to the letter of the directives.
1: And is this a two-page form, a 25-page form, a 200-page form? Do we know?
0: It, it, it's more targeted, um, and, and you can find the form online. Uh, it's not some, you know, encyclopedic form, but, but there, it is detailed uh, and, you know, will require some time. It's not something you can just fill out in an hour and, and fire off.
1: All right. And that's March 30th. They have to do the form. And then June 28th, they have to have a response plan for, I guess, what it is they found out in what they put on the form.
0: Well, they have to, they have to develop a cybersecurity incident response plan. So do the do the assessment and then also have a plan in place um, and submit it by, by June 28th that enables them to be prepared if there is an incident um, that they can respond effectively. They have the right governance in place. And and mechanisms. And, you know, at at McDermott, um, we routinely counsel um, clients, not just in rail systems, but, you know, across industries on having robust cybersecurity incident response plans. And one of the things that we we tell our clients um, all day, every day is, you can have the best on paper plan, but if it doesn't work within your organization, and it's not tested, then frankly, it's not worth the paper it's printed on. So yes, Companies should go through the exercise of putting together the plan, but make sure that it's a practical plan. And and to um, actually take your point, Tom, about some 200-page form, if it's a 200-page plan and no one's going to look at it uh, in the heat of an incident, then it, it really isn't an effective plan.
1: Well, let me ask you this. In the work that you do with transportation companies, railroads, or pipelines, or whatever, vulnerability assessments and having someone to coordinate, isn't that something that smart companies that have a smart IT type of leadership would have in place anyway. I mean, this should not be a heavy lift if you care about cyber. They,
0: they should have it in place, but I think one of the things that the directives really sharpens focus is that IT and legal slash compliance need to be lashed up and need to be talking about the program and the plan. And and and, and that comes from not just what the directives are requiring, but also in anticipation of you know, future litigation risk, um, regulatory investigations. Uh, And there needs to be that conversation um, and, and coordination.
1: Yes, that's the question. Suppose you fill out the form, you have the coordinator, you have the plan, you've tested it. And as far as you know, you are meeting the requirements of all of these directives and something happens anyway. Then what happens? What can TSA do? What can CISA do? Or do they just tell the Federal Trade Commission?
0: Well, I mean, there are a variety of levers uh, that that can be be pulled by the government. Um, you know, there's the reporting requirement uh, under the security directive. So a company that's affected by an incident, a covered incident, needs to report it. Um, you know, transportation systems uh, are covered by a number of different regulators, and so have to be mindful of that. And then, you know, taking a step further, if the information involves. Uh, personally identifiable information. There's potential reporting obligations under the patchwork of state data breach
1: notification laws. So companies have some work to do.
0: They do. They do. And uh, you know, just to, to put a, a, a fine point on it, you know, in October um, of last year, the Department of Justice, my former employer, launched its civil cyber fraud initiative, um, under which it will be pursuing or, you know, it intends to pursue civil actions through the False Claims Act, against government contractors and federal grant recipients who knowingly provide deficient cybersecurity products or services, misrepresent cybersecurity practices or protocols, and violate their obligations to monitor and report cyber incidents and breaches. So if you are a government contractor or a federal grant recipient, this is going to add an additional layer of exposure. And when the Department of Justice announced um, the initiative, they Encouraged um, whistleblowers to come forward. They expect them to play a significant role in identifying knowing compliance failures. Um, so this is an additional area um, for for that sector to to be aware of um, and um, you know be preparing for.
1: Scott Ferber is a partner at the law firm McDermott Will and Emery. Thanks so much for joining me.
0: Thanks so much for. Uh, the time and inviting me on. It's great talking about a passion subject that I feel very passionate about.
1: All right. We'll post this interview along with a link to an article he's written about this at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows.